So I am at Flushing Meadows Corona Park here today in Queens. And it's pretty chilly and cold. Windy too. I'm Manolo Morales and this is Atlas Obscura. And today I'm walking into the Queens Museum to see one of its main attractions, an extremely detailed scale model of the city that I grew up in. Hi. Um, I'm just here to see the panorama. Okay. Yeah. Today, I'm visiting the panorama of the city of New York. Okay. It was one of the stars of the 1964 World's Fair. More than 1,400 people lined up to see it each day and catch a bird's eye view of the city that never sleeps. Can you just break down that small hallway and stay here? Thank you. All right, so I've made it. I'm at the highest point on the rail, overlooking at the entire city of New York, where I get a view of all five boroughs at once. The Bronx, Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, and Staten Island. It's magnificent. I mean, it's incredible. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. Stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. From here, all the tiny buildings, the skyscrapers, the highways, they actually look like Lego pieces. When you enter the room to see the panorama of the city of New York, your jaw drops. The room is the size of about two basketball courts, just over 9,000 square feet. And the scale model covers almost the entire space. All the bridges are represented right here on this panorama. Um, I can quickly identify the Brooklyn Bridge and the Queensboro Bridge. And that's because I've walked across those two the most. As I stood there, I was imagining a tiny little Manolo crossing the Queensboro Bridge into Manhattan. Each inch on the scale model equals 100 feet, meaning that I would be the size of a tiny black puppy seed, almost invisible. I'm actually Queens native, born and raised. 
And looking at this panorama, I'm reminded of how big Queens is. In fact, I actually used to go to high school in Queens too. It actually took me an hour to get to high school from where I live. From Jackson Heights to Richmond Hill. I took three trains, the 7, the E, and the J. Some of you might have seen the panorama before. It's appeared in a few movies. Most recently in the Netflix series, Pretend It's a City, directed by Martin Scorsese. It's about the iconic New York writer, Fran Lebowitz. There is a great scene in which Fran Lebowitz stands right in the middle of the panorama. Fran, it looks like you're in another world. I am. <laughs> she probably stood right between Staten Island and Brooklyn and Lower Manhattan because there's a big chunk that's supposed to be water. So there are no models or boats in that area. Um, so she must have stood right there. Unlike Fran, I had to stay on the rail that surrounds the panorama. The panorama captures just how big the city is, but it also captures the smallest details. That's so cute. They actually got a tiny little airplane model. That's so cute. And it's landing at LaGuardia Airport. It's making its rounds. It flies up and it flies down. And the string that's connecting it, you barely see it. This is a commercial from 1964. It's advertising the train you would take to the 1964 World's Fair, which was held right here in Flushing Meadows Corona Park in Queens. The purpose of these fairs was to showcase achievements and innovations from around the world. Whether it was a newly invented telephone at the 1876 World's Fair in Philadelphia, or the Eiffel Tower at the 1889 World's Fair in Paris. So hosting a World's Fair was a big deal. There's a very specific process that World's Fairs had to go through uh, starting around 1920 and then even uh, into the present today. That's Lynn Malazuski. She's archives and collections manager at the Queen's Museum. So you're only allowed to have one fair every decade in a specific country. And here in the U.S., in 1962, Seattle hosted one. Just two years before New York. The World's Fair of 1964-65 was uh, comically not officially a World's Fair. But someone well-connected to the city pushed to have one. And that was none other than Robert Moses. He was an urban planner and someone who is really responsible for a lot of New York City's infrastructure today. And he really was pushing it because he wanted to use this as a real exhibition of his own ambition and all of his accomplishments, fundamentally. Unofficial or not, the 1964 World's Fair drew a huge crowd. Over 50 million people. And this was a perfect opportunity for big corporations to debut their latest products. 
Visitors from the 1964 World's Fair got the very first glimpse of the Ford Mustang. And they got to see the new touch-tone phone. The old rotary phones which you dialed in circular motion and sounded like this would be replaced by the phones where you push the buttons down. But for all the new technologies and foods that were at the 1964 World's Fair, one of the most popular attractions was a certain scale model, the Panorama of the City of New York. I came across an oral history project about the fair which was produced back in 2016. Here is a memory from a guy in the Bronx named Stefan Mullet. I thought it was the most spectacular thing I'd ever seen, taking a helicopter ride around New York City. Looking down at That's the right. Back then in 1964, fairgoers paid $0.10 cents to hop into a little cart shaped like a helicopter. Like a kid's carnival ride. It went over the panorama while a broadcaster narrated about life in the city. They'd say you'd be taking off and we we're going to be flying around New York City. And you, they made the sound effects inside the compartment. And uh, you'd look through the window and as you... Went around the city, it would go from daytime to nighttime, and then the, the little houses would light up in, in different parts of the city, and then it would go back to daytime. I, I don't know how long. This kind of spectacle was what the World's Fair was all about. I must have gone on it at least 30 times. Back, we came back and forth from the Bronx to here. It was like a, a weekend party for us to come out here every weekend. The cost of the panorama was over $600,000, which is equivalent of around $5 million today. And it took more than 100 artisans to build it. And although it was a hit as a sort of amusement ride at the 64 fair, there was another use for the panorama. Here's Lynn again. Today it's definitely an artifact, but at the time it was really meant to be a planning tool. The panorama was meant to be a tool for architects to determine things like the density of the city or traffic flow. So after the World's Fair, they would occasionally make some updates to the panorama. But in 1992, the Queens Museum closed for a major renovation, and the panorama got its biggest update. According to their website, they referenced over 100 aerial photographs of the city. And some old buildings were removed, and newer buildings were added. The helicopter ride was replaced with glass walkways. When it was done, the panorama was reintroduced in 1994 during the reopening of the Queen's Museum. Today, the scale model has 895,000 buildings. All the iconic landmarks and stadiums are there, including the Twin Towers. Just like the city itself, the panorama is breathtaking to look at. There is something really special about the panorama in that I don't think the reaction it elicits is unique to people who experienced it in 1964. Lynn is right. Whether you're a lifelong New Yorker like me or a tourist, the panorama gives you an appreciation for the beauty of New York City, but it also gives you an appreciation for the history of this place. I'm just thinking of how magnificent New York City is. It's home to me. It's where I grew up and was born and raised. And it really has a lot to offer. 
I love New York. As I walked to the train station, I couldn't help imagining myself as a tiny puppy seed moving through this city. There is a Manhattan bound local 7 train to Alright, so my train's arriving. I'm headed back home to warm up. Thank you so much, Lynn Malazuski, for taking the time to talk to me, and Abigail Banks, who produced the oral history project of the 1964 World's Fair, and allowed me to use the interviews. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes... Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Amanola Morales. Hasta luego. Witness Docs from Stitcher. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decoder Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.